You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. The junior space has uh, um, attracted a lot of unscrupulous characters through the years. You know, there's, you know, they've tried to separate investors from their money. I mean, there's an old Vancouver saying that, you know, in the beginning, uh, the promoter has the vision and the investors have the money. And uh, yeah, in the end, you know, the, the promoter has the money and the investors have the vision, right? So, I mean, you have to keep that in mind. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And in today's show, you're going to be hearing from Greg O'Rell. He is the president of O'Rell Capital Management, and he also is the portfolio fund manager of the OCM Gold Fund. To learn more about that, you can go to his website, ocmgoldfund.com. Greg, welcome on to the show for the first time. It's a, it's a pleasure to meet you and have you on the show. And you've been in gold for many decades. So tell us a little bit about how you got into gold. And as you do that, could you compare gold to Bitcoin and let us know where you stand on the whole gold versus Bitcoin debate, please? All right. Um, yeah, it's great to be on, Bill. First off, uh, gold started uh, basically at the dinner table. You know, my father was a broker. Uh, in San Francisco, and one of the early uh, gold brokers, stock brokers uh, in San Francisco, he actually was on, you know, used to be interviewed every morning on our radio show, and they called him Mr. Gold. And you know, then he started a gold mining company up in the Motherlode Belt of California that ultimately became a mine. So uh, it was you know, one of those things you grow up with. So a lot of experience early on, you know, I can remember, you know, these are mid seventies, you know, on this old, uh, we had a project up in uh, the Motherlode Belt of California called the Royal Mountain King Mine. And, you know, one of my earlier experiences in the mid seventies was going up there with my father, you know, we'd camp there. And, you know, one time, you know, you know, Jim Dines was a friend of my father's, uh, you know, going up in his Rolls Royce and going over doing a little mine tour, property tour with in the backseat of Jim Dines Rolls Royce. <laughs> oh. Famous newsletter uh, writer, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I've so been, been in the space for a long time, started off as a stockbroker in the mining space, uh, dealing only in you know, gold and silver, mostly junior miners at the time. And then in the mid nineties, uh, you know, one of my clients, was a uh, this had this small fund called the Monotrend Gold Fund, and so they said, oh, "Well, Greg, do you want to take over managing it?" And I said, "Oh, sure." I didn't know anything about the mutual fund business at the time, so I uh, said, "Sure," and you know, got an introduction into the uh, gold fund mutual business, mutual fund business at that time, and uh, you know, so now I've been doing it for about twenty five years, and uh, so. Um, that's that's my uh, take on, on getting into the gold business. You know, regarding Bitcoin question, you know, I do get asked that question all the time, and everyone's saying, "Well, is, geez, isn't Bitcoin siphoning off investment flows into the gold sector?" It, it could be on the you know, margin at the moment, but at the end of the day, gold has shown to be a store of value. Bitcoin has yet to do that. Um, you know, whether the electricity goes out or you know, gold, you know, for example, gold, uh, if gold goes down, 
you know, in a shipwreck, you know, 100 years later, you find the gold is still worth something. It's a store of value. And it's shown to be, you know, gold has all the monetary attributes, whereas Bitcoin has yet to do that. And you know, there could be Bill Coin, Greg Coin. You know, granted, there's the premise behind Bitcoin is correct in terms of, okay, I'm trying to you know, have something that you know, is a store of value that's not being debased by you know, the central banks, whereas um, I just think the vehicle is wrong because you know, the scarcity argument of you know, there's only 21 million Bitcoins or X number of Ethereum or Dogecoins, and, but you can cre keep creating all these coins. There's no scarcity of how many cryptos that you can create. And so, but, you know, they're trying to talk about market caps and, you know, there's, they're making up reasons, you know, the, the proponents for, for Bitcoin and cryptos, in my opinion. So, um, I, like I said, I think the premise of why people want to be into cryptos and Bitcoin, et cetera, is correct. I just don't believe the vehicles, right? I still ultimately believe that, you know, the money will gravitate, capital flows will gravitate back towards gold. Thank you for that overview and, and uh, sh sharing your position on that. All right, let's talk about gold stocks. Um, you obviously have been investing in gold stocks for decades, as I kind of re re alluded to in my introduction, from the gold cycle from 2000 to 2011 versus the expected gold cycle that we're in now. What are some of the differences? How do you see this gold cycle as difference and how might gold speculators benefit uh, in terms of how they position themselves in this particular gold cycle? Okay, um, so first off, you know, from 2000 to 2011, and you were coming off of, at, at 2000, you know, 2000, 2001, you were coming off of a, a terrible bear market. You know, gold had gone down to $250. Everybody had sold out of their gold positions and you know, nobody had any desire to be in gold. I mean, gold, you know, was the four letter word, you know, for everybody and everybody was looking for growth stocks at the time. And uh, you know, what obviously changed was, you know, 2001, you had 9-11, uh, you had the Fed start to come out with, you know, uh, yeah, extreme monetary policies and, you know, that, you know, that was, you know, actually on top of previous, you know, aggressive monetary policies following long-term capital and Asian financial crisis. So when the dot-com bus came, you know, that was thrown on top of those. And then you had the housing crisis that, you know, um, took place in 2008 and all those extreme monetary policies you know, have gone to uh, um, you know, create an environment that, you know, allow gold prices to move higher is especially one of the things, if you look at gold, you know, it's highly correlated to total federal debt outstanding over the last, you know, 50 years. Since Nixon closed the gold window, you have a 92% correlation, the gold price to total federal debt outstanding. Everybody likes to talk about the inverse relationship between the dollar index and gold. And you know, one of the things, if you were to plot the dollar index and gold price, you would see that the dollar index 
you know, basically is flat and the gold price goes up. The dollar index is an index versus other currencies, and it's not against gold. And so it doesn't take into consideration the debasement of, you know, those paper, paper currencies. So where we are now is, um, you know, we are in a much better environment for the gold shares than we were in 2011, in my opinion. One of the things that took place with uh, <clears throat> the miners is that you know, they have a history of uh, debasing shareholders and their equity issuance um, you know, really caught up to them in 2008. You know, we saw a blowout of the gold XAU ratio. One of the things that if you were to look at the gold XAU ratio, which is the gold price divided by the XAU index, you'd see that historically, since it was started in 1986, it traded around five times and it blew out to 26 times. And that was co that coincided with a loss of investor confidence that was taking place. And you could you know, blame it on you know, poor capital allocation, but it also coincided with you know, the big deluge of equity issuance, which you know, I would say that the, you know, the miners you know, I would, you know, were debasing shareholders faster than the central banks were debasing currency. So, um, so what we're seeing now is we're seeing a contraction of equity in the top 10 producers. And you know, the, whether it's the Newmont buybacks or other buybacks, um, there's greater confidence in management, better capital discipline. I mean, you could say that you know, Mark Bristow, when he went over to Barrick from Rangold to Barrick, helped fuel that confidence of investors. And we're seeing a contraction of that gold XAU ratio now. I mean, that's important because what it does do is if you move from you know, currently around 12 and a half, if you go back to that historic number of five, and if that's the direction we're going, now, that's a, a big move for shares in terms of outperformance relative to the gold price. So uh, so I just believe that you know, the, there's a better understanding that the majors you know, and intermediates that the shareholders need to participate in the cash flow. And we're seeing that, that in shareholder returns. Um, you know, there's this balance that has to go on between you know, the cash flow for the miners, uh, for you know, what's a what it's a sustainable balance sheet. What do they need in terms of cash flow to you know sustain the business and make it investable uh, long term, uh, rather than just a trade. So, uh, I believe you know they're doing a good job of managing that, and I think that's starting to drive you know better investor sentiment. Gold Terra Resource Corp. is a gold exploration company that has assembled a highly prospective district-scale land position on the doorstep of the city of Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories. Gold Terra is currently focused on expanding and delineating gold resources at the company's Yellowknife City Gold Project with the goal of discovering over 5 million ounces. With ready access to infrastructure and multiple high-grade gold discoveries, Gold Terra is on track to re-establishing Yellowknife as one of the premier gold mining districts in Canada. Gold Terra trades as YGT in Toronto and YGTFF on the OTC. For more information, go to goldterracorp.com. That's goldterracorp.com. When you invest in major gold producers like your fund does, do you want to see them giving a dividend, increasing a dividend, or would you rather have the, see them reinvesting that money rather than giving you a bigger dividend? 
it's a balance. I mean, I know that's an argument that a lot of folks have, um, but you have to realize that, in my opinion, you know, the miners need to uh, pay the shareholders along the way because it does become a fool's game. If you were to take you know, money and put it in one hole in the ground to the next hole in the ground to the next hole in the ground without paying the shareholders along the way, it really is a fool's game. You're just trying to get bigger for the sake of getting bigger. And, uh, but what, are the, what do you get out of it? It's a depleting resource business. So the shareholders do need to participate. And you know, back in you know, the 70s and before, even in the 40s, 30s and 40s, you know, the miners always paid big dividends. And you know, some of them, you know, they paid too big of a dividends and they couldn't reinvest. And so there is that balance that has to be done. And so, you know, when I look at, you know, for new projects, in my opinion, you know, the returns need to be high enough. And, you know, what is that number? I like to see 30% rates of return, especially for 10-year projects. And, you know, it's a simple math. It's, you know, 10% to pay back the project. You know, 10%, you know, should look after the shareholders and another 10% for the next mine. So you're running a gold fund. Obviously, you invest uh, in some of the bigger gold producers. But when you move down the food chain, can you talk us through what you look for in maybe a, a, a small cap or even a micro cap gold stock? Okay, so um, yeah, let me. I'll, I'll go back a little bit in history here. So you know, the, the junior space has uh, um, attracted a lot of unscrupulous characters through the years. Yeah, you know, there's you know they've tried to separate investors from their money. I mean, there's an old Vancouver saying that you know in the beginning, you know, the promoter has the vision and the investors have the money, and uh, yeah, in the end, you know the the promoter has the money and the investors have the vision, right? So, I mean, you have to keep that in mind. And so, with that said, though, you know there has been a lot of talent that has migrated to the junior space junior exploration space. And so what you do need is, um, you know, a good solid geologist that has the technical capabilities and has the imagination that is necessary. I mean, it's one thing to have, you know, technical capabilities, but if you can't, don't have the imagination to make a discovery and put it all together, uh, you're not probably not gonna come up with a big discovery. And then you have to have the capital. Yeah, you, know, you have to, in a large, uh, mining company, you know, you'll have a champion of a project that'll push it through. You know, for a junior, you know, they have to have access to the capital market. So you know, they have to have a board uh, that has that ability to tap, you know, access the capital markets. You know, one of the things too, Bill, is that you go through cycles and you'll see projects that, you know, come and go uh, and they've been through multiple cycles and it will probably take multiple cycles to make a project uh, become a mine because of the ebbs and flows of the capital markets. So, um, so you know, so that's what you have to look for is you know quality of assets. You know, can you can you turn a uh, um, can the project actually make it? You know, on its own, the quality of the asset, the you know, quality of the people, manage, management at all levels in this business is extremely important. When you get burned by a management team. 
which is a lot of times the biggest risk of uh, speculating in these smaller gold stocks. Uh, would do you ever give anybody a second chance, or how have you um, interacted? I never with, give anybody a second never, chance. <laughs> one and done. <laughs> fool me yeah. once, you know your fault. Fool me twice, my fault. Kind of perspective. Then, yeah, yeah you'll you'll see that most folks, a lot of people sitting where I'm at, you know, if they've been burned, and you know that's one of the things that you do if. If management, whether it's a large company or it's a, a smaller company, if they do something different than what they said they were going to do, you know, that's a sign to be a seller. And so uh, management, you know, if they lie, and there's there's plenty of examples of of uh, you know of folks you know telling stories that uh, aren't true in the especially on the expiration side. So. You know, one of the things over time that you learn uh, is that, you know, what are some simple back of the envelope things that, you know, allow you to, you know, try to see what a mine is going to look like. And it's a lot of it is geometry of a deposit. It's uh, metallurgy, strip ratios and grade, you know, all those things. It's not necessarily rocket science, but you do have to, you know, be able to try to ascertain that early on for yourself. So one more question about management. If you see a manager of a company involved in several other junior mining companies, is that an immediate turnoff for you? Or, you know, how many companies being involved with is too many for the leader of a company you would invest in? Uh, I would say that um, this, there's a certain level of distraction that takes place. And, you know, it's one of the things that you'll see is, you know, if someone's, you know, successful in a project and it's going along and then all of a sudden they get involved in another project. Um, you should probably get out of the other one, the first one that you were in, because all of a sudden the attention is no longer there. And so, um, so you don't want to see somebody involved in, you know, if they're the main guy of a project and not the promoter. I mean, there's a difference of, you know, you got a promoter of a project who's helping to access the you know, capital markets. That's one thing. And there's another who's the main driver of a project. And uh, it might be the, um, the geologist uh, or the original, um, the original backer of the project. And so what you have to do is, uh, you know, make sure that you, know, you don't have management that's distracted. And you know, I, I would say, you know, as soon as they start going off on, you know, more than one, if he's the main guy, that's time to leave. Greg, I was having a conversation with someone very seasoned and experienced uh, in the sector, and he mentioned uh, a specific gold exploration company. And I said, well, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. You know, the share price is where it is because of speculation and promotion. And he said, well, I know that. He said, but three months ago, I bought it for this price. And a couple of weeks ago, I sold it for a triple. So he understood the whole game, how it's played. He understood the geological potential of what they were doing, how far the, the spacing was. You couldn't fool him. But still, he made a triple off of it just because he understands how the markets work. Would you ever buy a gold stock just knowing that it's going to go up based on speculation and promotion? I don't know. Yeah. But I, you know, I fully appreciate the game, you know, understanding of, okay, this, he's got, you know, the promotions coming in and I want to be in front of uh, the promotion. 
It's like, you know, being the first guy on you know, the, uh, you know, when they're out on a marketing tour, you know, they start on the West coast and they're going to go to the East coast. You want to buy it on the West coast, sell it by the time they get to the East coast. So, um, but no, I, you know, it's, my turnover ratio is historically very low. And, you know, what I like to do is, um, you know, I keep my winners and, you know, sell my losers. Um, and, you know, that's worked out well over time. And, and so on juniors, you know, what I'll do is on, you know, expiration companies, um, you know, I, I'll buy small, you know, I won't buy something. I don't need to take an outsized position on an expiration company. And I don't want to be the bag man holding it either. There's a certain cycle to an expiration company. There's life cycles. And, uh, and what happens is, you know, as soon as you go into a, uh, a bear market or capital is leaving the gold sector, you know, the, the bids just evaporate for junior explorers. And then on that note, what's your exit strategy? Because you're running a gold fund and gold goes in cycles. So, you know, what is your exit strategy to exit out of these positions? So, yeah, you sell, you sell, but those are usually uh, what happens is mining, um, mining fund managers tend to get caught holding positions that they, you know, they can't get out of. And so you have to right size your portfolio and, you have to make sure that you don't, you know, sell your best to hold your worst. And so you, know, you sell, you know, even if you don't want to be a seller of, you know, some lousy, you know, company, you know, that's uh, is going to have difficulty raising capital and you might be putting more pressure on it. You do sell those companies. And then in terms of the gold cycle, do you have like a gold price that you have in mind or are you just going to be monitoring the macroeconomic environment, you know, for when you're going to sell out a Barrick or a Nico Eagle? Um, well, what happens is you will um, look at, you know, where you are on the cycle. And so, um, you know, right now, you know, I, I'm extremely bullish on, you know, the producers. I think they are, they represent good value here. Um, so, you know, I'm actually bullish on the, uh, the juniors, <laughs> junior producers and intermediate producers and a lot of Explorcos. But, um, yeah, I just, I still believe we're early innings in this cycle. So we've talked about a lot of pitfalls and things to avoid, as well as things to look for. Uh, as we conclude here, I believe your fund makes your positions public. Is that correct? That's so would you want to share a couple positions that you have that are smaller cap as examples? Uh, I, or can you I not? would I prefer not. I just don't want to be the one talking my book, you know. Okay. And, um but you know what I will say is that you know what you want to look for are you know, which gets discounted in this space a lot of time is time is time because, you know, there's, it takes a lot of time to permit. It takes a lot of time to uh, go out and explore and you'll go through cycles where that capital is spent and it gets discounted. So the capital is discounted and the time is discounted. So you want to, as an investor, you want to look for, you know, opportunities where you believe that, you know, that that is an economic deposit and you know there's been time and capital spent previously you know, that that's 
that creates opportunities. Obviously, there's new discoveries that are being made, and that creates a lot of excitement. But um, you know, you have to realize, you know, you know, if that's not a a truly uh, spectacular type of deposit that's going to make it through the economic cycle, you know, it, you may be caught holding it. So, um, but yeah, no, there's a lot of uh, you know, I, there's a lot of opportunities I think in this space. Um, especially as capital flows start to come in. And you know, for me, you know, the gold price outlook is, is positive you know, just because of you know, the, what we're seeing is more uh, debt being put on and Powell and Yellen getting together to finance that debt. You know, that you know, is a bullish environment you know, for the gold price going forward, in my opinion. Absolutely. So, Greg, your website is ocmgoldfund.com. And anything you want to let listeners know about what they'll find there? Um, you know, what they'll find there is that, uh, you know, the OCM Gold Fund is, uh, has been around a while. It's a smaller fund, so we have a lot of uh, flexibility in where we can invest in terms of the micro caps and the large caps. We are, um, you know, won the Lipper Award last year for the best three and five and 10 year performance. Um, so, you know, we have shown that we have the expertise to, you know, for our shareholders to deliver, you know, returns that they're looking for. And, you know, we are a, from a, we take it from a monetary perspective as, uh, and we want to be that monetary gold asset for, you know, for our investors. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on today's show, Greg, and sharing your experience and expertise. Much appreciated. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.